You know, Christmas Eve really is a night of anticipation, at least technically. Some of you have already opened your presents. You've had Christmases already, but technically, we're supposed to wait till tomorrow, right? It is a night of anticipation. I was thinking about all the many memories our family has of Christmas Eve. I was talking to Julie today about some of our stories, good and bad, of Christmas Eves in the past. We never let our kids open anything early. They had to wait till Christmas morning. Um, we didn't put anything out until Christmas morning. I grew up in a home where we put everything out as we wrapped it, but that changed, and so we just decided we'll wait till Christmas morning. So a lot of anticipation there. Um, I thought about even as a kid going to my grandparents and the drive from Chattanooga to Atlanta, just a short two hours, but that anticipation of seeing them. and you know, just a lot of anticipation in Christmas Eve. And those natural things aren't bad. They're not evil. Uh, our, our society can take them sometimes and make them consumeristic, but in and of themselves, they're just good memories. God's given us the ability to make memories and to cherish those. They're healthy for us. But they are just that. They're just natural things that accompany this time of year. But at its core, Christmas is far more than something natural. It's far more than just a sleigh ride and a few bells or uh, waiting till the next morning or traditions. It's actually a supernatural moment. Did you know that? That's what Christmas is at its core. And as Matthew 1 closes, we see this front and center. So if you have a Bible, look at Matthew 1 just for a few moments. Kids, I won't be real long tonight, but what I want to share is very important. I'd encourage you to listen in. We have some elementary children with us, even some uh, really young ones, our teenagers, all the adults. This is God's word for us, so let me just have your attention for a few moments. I think you'll really benefit from what we're going to see from Matthew 1. In these final verses where we see the supernatural moment of Christmas. Now I'd remind you that the first 17 verses that we've seen over the last three weeks, they're more about the natural or we'd call the human heredity aspect of Christ coming. The anticipation through the line. All kinds of men and women. Christ being the one to finally come. This is his natural line through 41 names. But as we get to verse 18, we move to more of the supernatural line. What we'd call his divine heredity. And we're going to see this played out in three names. And keep in mind that Without verses 18 through 25, the story of Matthew 1 is incomplete, all right? If you only have the natural, if you just have the human aspect, it's incomplete. Because there were many Jewish boys who could trace their lineage back to King David, correct? But there's only one who could trace it back to King David who was from God and who was God. And so his divine heredity is essential this is what Matthew 1, 18 through 25 unfolds for us. Let's read together. Just follow with me. Verse 18 begins, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So here's his arrival in narrative form. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. If you've got a marker, highlighter, makeup, eyeliner or something. Just kind of underline, circle, Holy Spirit, would you? We'll continue in verse 19. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear 
to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Circle that again, underline it. Note that twice now the Holy Spirit's been mentioned. The angel says to Joseph, don't fear. The, the child in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name, say it with me, church, Jesus. Underline that, circle it, make note of that. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord, would you underline that, emphasize that, make a note of that, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Here's what God had said by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Would you underscore, highlight, emphasize the word God there? It's our fifth name or our fifth title so far in this narrative. Let's continue in verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he did not know her until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name, together church, Jesus. Circle that one, emphasize that, just make a note of that. What you find in this simple narrative of Christ's arrival are six titles or names of three persons that represent one God. Remember in verses 1 through 17, we had 41 names, actually 42 names, counting the last one, Jesus. 42 names over hundreds of years that showed us his human heredity. Now we have the divine heredity, the actual arrival of Christ. And the names mentioned, really, the primary players are the Holy Spirit, mentioned twice, the Lord and God mentioned twice, and then Jesus mentioned twice. What's it saying to us here? I'll just be very plain with you. What we have here are the, is the supernatural moment of Christmas. When? Here's your big idea. God revealed himself through himself by the power of himself. Now, I've never actually given Christmas a definition. Did you know that? But I think if I had to give Christmas an actual definition, this would be it. That Christmas is, in the most biblically accurate way to say it, it's God revealing himself through himself by the power of himself. Now, let me explain that just, to, just for a few minutes. And I've got it in the notes here. When God revealed himself, it's God the Father. And when he revealed himself through himself, he did that through God the Son. And when God the Father revealed himself through God the Son, who took on humanity and flesh, being born as a baby at Christmas, he did that through the power of God the Spirit. We see this in the text so clearly. And so really what we have here in this supernatural moment called Christmas, we have here in this arrival is a supernatural miracle. God the Father conceived in Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who was born as a natural man, and yet was fully God. Man, Christmas is, at its core, a supernatural moment, isn't it? And so I just keep this in mind. This is a, a, a definition of Christmas that reveals to us what's really going on at the core of the holiday. And this was to fulfill what God prophesied, and you could use the word predicted, hundreds of years before this. Do you see verse 22? When through Isaiah, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. And this is what separated Jesus from every other Jewish boy that could trace his line back to David. Christ came through a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born in that fashion, that miracle moment in which God the Father came to man and God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. And by the way, this prophecy here, it's one of almost about, we may say 300 prophecies, all fulfilled in the singular God-man, Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're here tonight as a Christian or maybe a skeptic, maybe an agnostic, maybe as a curious seeker. But I would say to you historically that no one has ever fulfilled this many prophecies in their single birth. And Jesus Christ stands alone as believable, provable, historical, evidential, trustworthy, dependable. Why? Because in his birth alone, over 2,500 years of history merges in prophecies such as he was born in the town of Bethlehem predicted by Micah. It would be through a virgin predicted by Isaiah. And we could list many more. All of them merge and intersect in one culminating, arriving moment when Jesus was born. Spectacular and supernatural. This is what God was doing. He was bringing himself to us, fulfilling his promise. In fact, watch this. God would promise about 28 times through the Bible that his people would be their people and he would be their God. But until Jesus came, it was in the form of a tabernacle. It was in the form of a temple. But when Jesus came, it was God fulfilling that promise in the ultimate fashion through himself. And truly then, at that moment, God was with his people. He was their God and they were his people. He was enfleshed among them. That's Christmas. Now, if you've been following us this month, you know that we have provided underneath all of our big ideas a big doctrine. Christmas Eve is no exception. Because after all, we believe at First Columbia that it's the most doctrinal time. Right? Are you with me? You had to catch that. You had to be here Sunday to catch that. What's the doctrine beneath this big idea, this actual definition of Christmas? That Christmas is, in the most biblical wording, God revealing himself through himself by the power of himself. What, what's underneath that? I think you're ahead of me. It's the doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity is, in, in as few words as I can say it, it's simply one God eternally existent in three persons. It's hard to fathom, hard to grasp, but it's an orthodox doctrine seen throughout the scriptures. And it, it forms a basis for what we celebrate and believe at Christmas. Because without the Trinity in action, watch this church, without God the Father conceiving in Mary through God the Spirit, God the Son is just a natural holiday. You get off work, make some traditions, get some extra food, go see your grandparents. Yeah, have a good time. But with, with God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, then suddenly it's far more than just something natural. It's supernatural. And that's the core of Christmas. It's God coming to man. I would remind you that it takes some one supernatural to do something supernatural. And again, in our text, the arrival of Jesus shows us what this supernatural thing was that he was going to do. Can I just read you verse 21? That you will bear a son, Mary, and you'll call his name Jesus, and then watch this, church, for he will save his people from their sins. Aren't you thankful that Christmas is supernatural? Because what you and I need at our core 
is the supernatural act of our sins forgiven. That doesn't happen naturally. If it's just human heredity, if it's just a human lineage, if it's just one good man followed by another better man perhaps, we don't find forgiveness of sins. But when God steps into history and by the power of himself reveals himself, when God the Father through God the Spirit brings God the Son into human form, guess what? We have hope. We can be forgiven. Our sins can be forgiven. And I don't know everyone's spiritual status here tonight. I don't know your curiosity level. I don't know if you're walking with the Lord, if you're a Christian or not. I don't know any of that about most of you here. Probably some of you I do, but most of you, I, you're, you may, I may not know all that. But I can assure you that in the midst of this holiday, with all of your travel plans, with all of your various things you're going to do and buy and eat and people you're going to see, as good as that is, there is nothing more important than to ask yourself this question. Do I know that I've been forgiven by God? Have I experienced the supernatural act of forgiveness through Jesus by God? That's really the, the deepest core understanding of Christmas, that when Jesus came as a baby, when God revealed himself through himself by the, by the power of himself, it was for the purpose of saving sinners and no one's exempt. Every sinner who puts their faith in Jesus Christ will be saved. So I want to encourage you tonight, church. See the true gift this Christmas. It's not under your tree, it's in the scriptures. It's the gift of God's Son who came by the power of God the Father and the power of God the Spirit through a virgin and who offers forgiveness to all who would believe. If you're sitting there tonight thinking, I've never trusted Christ. I didn't know that I could have forgiveness. Todd, you don't know my past, my line of sins, my closet of skeletons. I would say to you, Jesus Christ and his cross covers every sin. It's bigger than anything you've done. And to anyone who would call out to Jesus and simply say, Lord, I believe that you came at Christmas and revealed yourself by the power of yourself. And I trust in you alone for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust you to do what you promised you would do when Jesus came. Save us from our sins. God, I trust you tonight. I trust you alone. Would you save me? You know what God will do? God will do exactly that. He'll keep his word and he'll save you from your sins. You don't have to fill a card out necessarily. You don't have to walk forward in this crowded auditorium. All you've got to do is right there in your seat. Say, God, I believe. Would you save me through Jesus? I trust you alone for forgiveness. And watch this, God the Father will do through the power of God the Spirit what God the Son came and died to make sure it happens. He will forgive you of your sins. And the Trinity will be as involved in your salvation as he was at Christmas. Well, church, let's conclude our month-long series with just a beautiful set of Christmas verses, can we? We've been doing this all month as well, not only given a big idea and a big doctrine, We've also just been saying, what are saying more scriptures together out loud? So here's the ones we're going to use to conclude December. It's Galatians 4. And I want you to notice in this set of verses how the Trinity is, again, just really uh, uh, emphasized how it surfaces. So would you stand with me? And here's some verses that help us understand the arrival of the Son of God. Let's read this together, shall we, church? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.